Hello and welcome to this uh, special extra time edition of Through the Turnstiles podcast, where we take an in-depth look at the lower leagues of Scottish football. Joined as always by Moz and James. How are you, gents? Good, thank All you. Right. Delighted and to I'm, be sharing the stage with our esteemed guest today. I'm about to say we're even more delighted to be joined by Sterling Albion Chairman Stuart Brown. Stuart, how's things? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. And thanks for the invite. Pleasure to be with you. No, thank you very much for joining us. So if you hadn't seen from the title and the description, this is just a discussion with Stuart about the recent news within the last kind of 48, 72 hours of um, the unfortunate, let's say, news that the lower leagues, League One and League Two, have had their... Um, enforced closure continued until at least, well, and we'll get news, I think, on the 1st of March. So I doubt football will even be back on the 1st of March. We're, we're waiting for then for an update. So Stuart, like I say, has very kindly agreed to come on. And um, I'm sure you'll appreciate as viewers or listeners that there's some things that Stuart can't go into, but he's promised to give us as in-depth a uh, discussion and uh, debate as, as he can. As always, if you're watching on YouTube, if you could do us a massive favour and like the video and subscribe to the channel, that would help us massively. And if you are watching, um, or listen on Spotify, you can do that by searching it through the Turnstiles podcast. We're also on Twitter at Turnstiles there. And if you are on Twitter, if you could help us spread the word um, and retweet and share the tweet with this video on it, that'd be much appreciated. So Stuart, I was just saying actually before we came on air that I think amongst Lower League fans in Scotland anyway, you're quite a well-kent face. Um, and I think- Well spanked. And I think you're you're quite well known and I think respected for being quite open and honest with your views. So can you just give us a brief, uh, for the fans that maybe don't know of you, just how your role at Stirling Albion, how you came to get involved with it? Yeah, um, I've I've been on the board since fans ownership uh, came into being in 2010 um, and um, I was appointed chairman in 2000 and something, I think, 2004 possibly. Um, it's, it's, it's been an incredibly quick 10 years in many ways, but in, in other ways, certainly from a football progression point of view, it's been a lot slower than we would have liked. You know, and I think to put into context this season, I probably need to give a little brief update on as to why that's been the case. Um, as a fan zone club, we're very much reliant on fans contributing to that. Now, I'm absolutely not having a go at a fans here that pay their money through the turnstile and support the club in other ways. But in terms of investment, we are much limited to what we can do. Um, let's not go into the history of the period where we, we did have an opportunity for, for private investment and that was rejected at the time. But when we bought the club, we inherited a sizable debt or at least the supporters trust inherited a very sizable debt, which the trust has been very limited in what they've been able to do in terms of raising finance. So the club have, have, in, have repaid the majority of that debt. To be fair, a fair chunk of that was repaid by the people that have loaned money taking shares in, in the club. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's been a building progress. So when we got promoted um, through the playoffs in 2004 I think I'm correct in saying my memory for dates is absolutely (laughs) appalling so please feel free to correct me Um, we weren't ready you know we weren't ready financially to cope with League One and that's with hindsight you know I think we all were excited we got promoted Uh, the day at Methyl was as good as it gets but the end result was we came back down with a bit of a bump and we've struggled to to recover from that this pre-season we made a very conscious decision, supported by Kevin, that this was the year. 
this was the year we were going for it. We were going for promotion. We gave Kevin the playing budget that he felt was sufficient to get promotion. You know, that was his target. That was his objective. We also backed him fully in terms of the recruitment of his backroom staff. Um, I don't think there's too many clubs at our level have got, you know, a head of analysis, uh, a chief scout. Um, you know, and we're very blessed with Kenny as our physio, who I think some of you will know. Yes, um, one and, and one thing the whole management team's got is a fantastic sense of humour. Um, and that, that's so important at our level of football. So they blend very well. And I think um, you've, you've had Bill on, yeah. on your podcast. And what he has brought to the table uh, to provide Kevin with so much information that has informed not just the signing of players, but the ongoing fitness of players when they're doing too much, when they're not doing enough. So we're hugely advantaged. And that com all came out of a LinkedIn post that Bill had made that I responded to. We spoke from there. I contacted Kevin, not knowing what his answer would be. And it was like you'd given him the best birthday present ever. Mm -hmm. ever. And I think, you know, having listened to Bill um, for nearly an hour or certainly 40 minutes yeah, yeah he 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 knows his business and it's made such a tremendous difference to what we've been able to achieve so we were at this season we're probably slightly disappointed mm -hmm. um, only to be second equal some may argue fourth we'll call it second equal um, and if it goes to points per game we're, we're definitely third because we'll get above soon so um you know we're slightly disappointed we probably felt we should have beaten Queen's Park first game in the season. Um, mm -hmm. We probably deserved to be beaten in our only defeat by Elgin because we were absolutely appalling in the second half. But that happens in games. bit lucky to draw with Stennis Muir, equaliser in the last, with the last kick of the game. But other than that, we've dominated uh, teams. If you look at the SPFL stats, our shots, not necessarily in target, but our shots uh, are way ahead of everybody in the league, I think, including Queen's Park. Yeah. So... Where we're at, we're comfortable with. Where we can go, well, that's very much up in the air for a whole load of reasons that I'm sure you're well aware of. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll come on to that, but just we were, when I was actually going to touch on it with you about your staff because it was quite a bold move by yourself and Kevin, wasn't it, to do something out the ordinary? But did, did the fact that Queen's Park, obviously, they've got it's well known, they've got a big budget, did that, did that almost force your hand into trying something creative and... Um, in terms of getting that head of analysis and things, or do you think it's something you maybe would have done regardless? I'm, when we started on the, this season's journey, you know, pre-season and, and close season, um, I'm not aware, I don't think we were quite sure how far Queen's Park were going with all of this. Mm -hmm. And certainly when I spoke to Bill Orr, he, he spent about an hour and a half telling me what he, and I didn't understand a word of it. So, you know, it, it, Kevin was was right in there. There was never any doubt um, that, that Kevin was going to snap Bill's hand off to, yeah. to, to take him on board. Um, and, and I think also, I guess you might be aware of this, you probably are. Kevin does football seven days a week. Aye. Well, that was going to be He's, one of our questions for Bill is when does he sleep? Because the amount of work that he seems to put in as yeah. well. Uh, unbelievable. I think Bill, Bill told me, he told me the number of games that he watches in a week and it, it's an incredible amount. I doubt if Kevin's very far behind him. Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin will go to as many games as he can. I think our recruitment this season has proved the That's value of, yeah. of knowing what you're getting. I think yeah. everyone we've brought in have been a key part of the first team squad. They've not been an add-on. We haven't signed anybody as an add-on. They've all played their part. 
maybe some even a little bit more than we expected them to. Mm -hmm. The one that's been a bit unlucky was Kieran Moore, who got an injury at the wrong time because he yeah. just got himself established in the starting eleven um, and got an injury at the wrong time. And Scott Roberts has stepped into that breach, and you know yeah. it, it, it's going to be hard to dislodge Scott now. So, um, well, actually, we touched on your recruitment in the kind of pre-season episodes, didn't we, Muzz? And we, we thought, to be fair, that it was one of the best in the division, if not the best. Yeah, 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 well, I, I, definitely. And I think Sorry, what, what, um, what I've noticed as well is, I think personally, what Kevin and and potentially the input of like film in the training, he's managed to improve the players that you currently had or improve players from last season. But that's maybe come from film in the training and watching it back and giving players more information. I'm thinking, for example, Ross McGeeke, who we had in our team of the season so far. Like Ross has always been a good performer, but I think this season he's kind of kicked on and from what I've seen anyway, kind of pushed himself up a level. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely true, Andy. I think also it's uh, Ross wouldn't mind me saying that he struggled a bit with injury last season. Yeah. Uh, you know he's fully fit now, uh, and certainly, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I wouldn't. I don't think I'd swap too many of our players for somebody else's in the league at this point in time. Mm -hmm. You know, you can argue about some of the Queens Park full timers. I think they would probably accept that. You know, they haven't fulfilled their potential by any stretch yet which I guess could be bad news for the rest of us. But as Kenny Crichton told I, me and repeatedly tells me, if we win every game between now and the end of the season, assuming we get to play it, we win the league. It's not as simple as that. Yeah. Sorry, Maz, were you going to say something? No, we, I was just going to say that we got a, a bit of a bit of stick for not including uh, too many Queen's Park players in our, in our team of the season. But the suggestion was, as you say, uh, Stuart, that there's... It's, it seems ridiculous to say when they're sitting uh, top of the table, um, but um, you know five points clear. But there's been a, an element of of underperformance there as well from from them. So mm -hmm. yeah. So so you'd said obviously, Stuart, you're, you're the chairperson, but I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice because I know that you're in there washing the strips <laughs> and doing all sorts. So how if you've been you've obviously been heavily involved in the procedures that had to be in place from the start of the season in terms of. COVID and things, how did you find the procedures having to be in place in terms of the distancing and no crowds and uh, how the players have reacted and things like that? Can you just talk us through briefly what changes you had to make at the start of the season in order to get the season started? Yeah, I, you know, thanks for reminding me about washing the strip. That's one chore I've not got at the moment. Although, to be fair, my wife might have something to say about that. Um, that's the way our club works. You know, the reason that we can afford to give a bigger playing budget is because we don't spend a lot of money behind the scenes. Um, the board are all volunteers mm -hmm. and that, that's how it works. And we're all working members of the board. I don't know if I'm advantaged or disadvantaged, but as a chairman of a club, I probably know more about the ground floor workings of a club than, you know, anybody else, probably in Scottish football. And that's not a criticism of them because they will operate to a different model. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm still operations director. I'm still kit washer. I'm still, you know, COVID planner. Yeah. Although Kenny, Kenny Crichton is our COVID officer. Um, putting together the COVID protocols wasn't, it was time consuming, but it wasn't that difficult. We are very blessed at the stadium we have. I don't think any stadium lends itself to the COVID protocols. We, we were, it was easier for us to meet the requirements than probably for most. If I'm being honest, and I think Dick Campbell would probably agree with me, the accommodation for the away team isn't good, but it's safe. Mm. Yeah, they're so underneath they, the, they they're underneath the away stand. stand. Yeah. 
Yeah, they have to use both ends to have enough space. It's not ideal. It's bleeding cold, um, but it's safe. And, and the officials have their own entrance and exit. The home team have their home. So everybody uh, is working to the protocols that were set down for it. So the standards, the guidelines. Um, applying them, it hasn't been difficult. I guess every club would admit to an extent there's been an element of luck. You know, I think every club, right up to including the Premiership, would have to accept that controlling COVID has to include an element of good fortune, not luck, that's wrong, good yeah. fortune. We've had one case, um, uh, one player caught COVID at work. As a result, it unfortunately was at the time when we were playing Ross County and we discovered, no, it wasn't, sorry, correction, it was Elgin away and as a result of that, we had two other players had to self-isolate. We've had no other instances. I know we're not testing. We could have a whole load of players asymptomatic. I get that. But we haven't had any players reporting ill as a result of, of COVID. And I think um, I think just last week, Livingston, who obviously Premiership Club, they were in the exact same boat as you. They had a player who, who was COVID positive. They then went on the bus to Aberdeen and another player had to self-isolate because they happened to be on the bus within, yep. technically, I think they were further away, but they got advised to isolate. And like you say, yep. it's the exact same for yourselves going to Elgin as what it is for a Premiership team going to Aberdeen, for example. So yep. um, I think we we'll come on to the difference between Premiership and Championship teams in a minute. Um, just you mentioned, though, sorry, that you were you found it relatively easy to follow like the protocols and things, but from the outside... I've never really been sure about how much you've been advised by either the footballing powers that be or the government powers that be. Do they come in to you and say, look, you need to have this, you need to have these distancing measures, you need to have separate accommodation? Or do they just say, look, you're sort of on your own, just organise how you want to sort your training out, sort your hand washing, sort of... Yeah. There was a return to playing document that applied at all levels. It was slightly adjusted for part-time or, or lower league football, not in terms of you know the health and safety aspects, but in terms of some of the detail. Uh, and that's what we had to follow. We then got an inspection from uh, someone at the SFA. Um, and I think most clubs did this. You know, we all, we never heard any more. So we asked the question, well, have we passed? Um, and we got the answer. Well, it wasn't a test. We're just, you know, confirming to you that you've done everything that you need to do. It's not for us to say whether that meets or doesn't meet the criteria. So to that extent, James, we were kind of left on our own. But we are very comfortable that within Fourth Bank Stadium, players and officials are as safe as is humanly possible if they follow their own protocols. Yeah, it struck me as a bit odd in the, the Premiership. Uh, there's been teams saying, oh, we're, we're not really comfortable with these away um, facilities. But yeah. like you say, if the SFA have come in and not tested or not sort of said, I pass, fail, then you can see how it's sort of sort of transparent. Yeah, as, debate, as well, yeah, well, I, I, I hope you're not trying to draw me into a debate about what has been said by certain premiership managers about accommodation at away grounds. Um, no, no. Because I'm, I'm not going there. But um, I think people need to be very careful what they say and make sure it is indeed accurate. Um, you know, that hasn't helped. Arguably, that comment alone has not helped lower league clubs get back playing football um, because there is this doubt that we are following protocols. 
all I can say is, uh, and we've visited, I think we've had five away games and four home. Um, so for the away grounds we've been to, everybody has done their level best to accommodate us in safe accommodation. Sometimes it's been far from ideal in terms of home comforts, if you like, not having showers, not getting a post-match meal. You know, we do all our eating on the bus. A bit more difficult if we're traveling by car, but they tend to be the, the closer grounds. Mm. So, you know, we are doing everything we possibly can. And, and so far, up until the, the stoppage, it hadn't caused any major issues for us. I can attest I went to a lot of League One because, games. Uh, Okay, I can attest to that because Kenny actually turned me down for a scouting ticket because you're at capacity. So I can yeah. confirm that that, yeah. is the, that is the case. Well, one of the things that we, we've agreed to, you know, without going into too much detail, is that we will look to even further reduce the numbers of people attending games um, because the less people that are travelling, the less pressure there is on, on the road network, but also the less opportunity for people to inadvertently break the rules. You know, I think we've all seen television shots of people not wearing masks, etc. Um, I kind of get that, you know, in the heat of the battle, you've got a substitute that's just come off. He's played 70 minutes. He's perhaps a bit sweaty. Mm -hmm. You know, sticking a mask on is probably not the first thing in his mind. But what we do, we've got someone in place where it's a gentle reminder when you put a mask on. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because I can I can certainly vouch for a, for lower league clubs, Stuart. Having been to a lot of League One games yeah. before before Christmas, there. In my experience, the the club protocols have been uh, ideal, and it's it's more it's more individual choices on behalf of the people that are attending that are the problems. In my experience, the clubs are doing absolutely everything, um, and in fact, I, I actually got flagged up my track and trace got got flagged up after being at a game which again i think was just an indication of that the system is working and um, because i was at that game and i know for a fact that every, everybody around me was spaced out um, and and i don't i was going to ask you if you know in that situation do will clubs contact everybody who signed in for that game um or would that be again would that be and would that be come would that be the app that would kind of do that to your knowledge we keep a written record of, of everybody that attends the stadium so if there is an incident then we would be able to provide a full record our own players all work on a whatsapp group in terms of reporting in we keep it very simple but it's it's an accurate record of all they're required to say before training and before a match day is no new symptoms yeah right. as long as they say that i know there's probably four or five questions but that's the key one yeah. So we know that yeah. all our players are reporting for duty, be it training or a match, feeling well and not experiencing any COVID symptoms. I think, no, that's, that's good. And I think just before we move on, I can, I can kind of back what Muzz is saying. I think that lower league grounds are, lend themselves better to, the, to being safer, for example. Now, this season, I've been to kind of everywhere, like from Celtic Park, Ibrox to... AirJ, I think, is probably the safest one I've been to, but not far behind it was Steny. Now, me and Muz were both there for different clubs and distanced, obviously, but, but I think because they're open stadiums, you go in around the back of the, the home stand and you're just straight into the stands. You're not going through turnstiles or corridors. I think the open, the, the lower league clubs, because they're more opener, actually, they lend themselves to being safer, I think. Um, so um, I, th I think that, that's true. And and before we get on to the, the kind of the news of the last couple of days, Stuart, I just wanted to, to touch on obviously that we all want fans in the games and, and it's uh, that might be a while away yet, but I just wanted to touch on your media um, because from what I've seen this season, definitely the A, your kind of social media in terms of 
content that, that I've seen over the last few days. I think it was like the last few months, sorry. I think it was like a, a fan's favourite moments video that came out maybe last week. And then also your streaming of the games, the commentary and the quality of the pictures, for me, has been outstanding up there with the, the Premiership Club. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity to touch on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think I can give a big enough shout out for, for the uh, media team that we've got covering matches. We've got Ben McAdam, who's a first year student at Stirling University. Well, I think he's doing most of that from home at the moment. Uh, we've got um, a lad called Stuart Johnson, who works for a company, or it's his own company called Stream Scene. And, and he provides the magic box that allows us to stream without going through all sorts of other um, fancy routes. As you probably know, we're not with Pixelot. I think that's kind of obvious. You know, we haven't seen too many. We haven't seen too many paper bags scoring a goal this season. Um, but and added to that, we've also got a number of Stirling University students who man cameras. So we've got pretty much every angle covered. We've got GoPro cameras that Ben has. So what Ben has really done is extend his match highlights package into the full-blown mm -hmm. uh, match day presentation. Uh, I can't speak for the commentaries. I think everybody has mixed views in some of the commentaries. I think people maybe need to give a little bit more credence to the fact these these guys are generally amateurs doing yeah, a, a good job. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you take it in the spirits it intended, I think I'm not aware of anybody that's been openly hostile to, to away teams and what have you. I've heard some comment to that effect, but no, I, I think at the end of the day, if you can watch 90 minutes of football without it buffering and with getting a quality HD picture, you really can't ask for too much more. No, I think... Can I you reflect the, the club you've got as well and that you're getting folk from Stirling University in and you've got people who are willing to volunteer because it shows that Stirling's not just about like the football side of things because that's, that's experience that these guys would never have otherwise had. But it's also... Yeah. A talent pool that's on your doorstep so it's just i think a further a further credit to being able to offer opportunities to a wider population get the community involved a, in the club a great point james you know if you've got a, a university on your doorstep it makes absolute sense to work with them because um just another example was when we did our own program when i say our own program we produced it locally we edited it locally the um the Stirling university students took that on and I know for a fact that for the four years I think we did that, every single editor went on to get a full-time job on the back of his degree. And I think on his CV was that he was able to produce hard evidence of what he'd delivered over a period of time. So, yeah, the link up with the universities is fantastic. Um, that, that might continue because I saw Bill was looking to expand his department, wasn't he? And I was speaking on the other week. I think he did a... He was quite impressed with the kind of caliber applicants he did for some of the, the roles that he advertised yeah. and things. But like you say, it's yeah. a bit of a gold mine, isn't it? Just sitting up the road there. So absolutely uh, at the uni. So um so moving on then. So with the with the news, Stuart, about the kind of enforced suspension continuing, how did you hear about that and what were your initial thoughts um in as clean a way as possible? Yeah. Um we got very little warning of, of the of the decision. Um, I think I think it's well known that the leak came from the BBC, Chris McLaughlin, um, and we got about 10 minutes notice of that when the SFA became aware that there'd been a media leak. So we didn't get any input to it, we just got told of the outcome. Um, and I think at that point it would be probably fair to say, I can't speak for others, but I think probably there was there was an element of some anger 
but which quickly probably you know quickly turned to frustration um, and disappointment you know I think anybody's reaction to getting the news you want I think it's a natural reaction to be angry but when you rationalize it you know that's that's a bit unfair we don't know all the reasons behind it we still don't know all the reasons behind it so I'm frustrated I'm disappointed um, I'm desperate uh, on behalf of Kevin and the players to get them back playing the board are desperate to do that can we achieve it well that one's in the melting pot a bit at the moment there are discussions going on as you can imagine at every club the clubs are joined up in, in the bottom two divisions as best as we can. Um, I, I think it would not be inappropriate to, to believe that some clubs will have more enthusiasm to get back and play than others. And, and that's in, I think that's entirely natural. You know, um, Nobody wants to put themselves in a position where they're going to end up worse off by coming back, spending a, a lot of money you know, our testing, if we were to play out the season in its entirety, um, we would spend something in the region of £25,000 on COVID testing. And, and that's that's not money that any club wants to spend, despite the fact that the government have been extremely helpful with, with the grant that was given to us. We had the mm -hmm. James Anderson money. So I don't think it would be right for me to complain about our lot from a financial perspective, but equally... There's little or no point in spending money if there's no outcome to it. Yes. I suppose one of the, the one of the main arguments, Stuart, in, in favour of, of of going back would be the fact that there are some part-time teams in the championship um, who are being allowed to operate. And if you can if you can guarantee you can provide testing going forward to the end of the season, um, is that one of the most frustrating factors for you? I think that's the, the, it, 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 that causes a lot of the frustration. It, it, it also has to be a little bit puzzling. Yeah. Because we've all do everything that is currently being done by the championship and premiership to the letter, to the letter of the law, and we've been turned down. Now, I don't want to get into a debate about the rights and wrongs of anybody playing football at the moment, because actually, I think that's a very genuine debate that I would probably find quite hard to, to defend. You know, mm -hmm. But my role and my board's role and every other board, every other club, our role is to look after the best interests of our club. That, as directors, we are by law required to do that. And the best interest of Stirling Albion, obviously, is to play football, try to get promotion and progress the club. And so the argument about playing football or not playing football, I don't think it's any different from the top of the premiership to the bottom of however far down the pyramid yeah. you choose to go. Um, there's been a decision made that two leagues can play and the rest can't. Um, you, you might not, I'm not going to, you, you might not know the answer to this, sure, or you might not be able to answer, but do you know if this decision was made by the, the football governing bodies or the, the government or the government-influenced football? Do we know yet? I've not seen the latest decision, yeah, the latest uh, notice not to return mid-February, as we had hoped, was made by government. By Scottish government, not football and authorities. And am I right in saying that it's until the 1st of March, like I kind of said at the start there, and that'll be when you get a further update. So I'd imagine even if come the 1st of March, hopefully, fingers crossed, that is, yes, we can bring football back. The, the, as Kevin or Bill or Kenny, you're back himself, giving you an indication of how long they'd need to prepare between hearing that they can come back and then the first yeah. league game. I think the 1st of the March has a lot of um, caveats around it. 
One is there's no point being told in the 1st of March we can get back training and playing without knowing what the implications of that are. You know, yeah. I don't think we would sign up to spending money if there's not going to be promotion or the carrot of promotion at the end of the season. So we need to know all those things before we make decisions about what we're prepared to do. In terms of being prepared to play football, I spoke to Kevin yesterday and um, ideally you'd have three weeks, mm -hmm. two weeks mm -hmm. possibly. But if push comes to shove and our guys again helped by Bill Orr and his magic equipment, we're in a good place physically yeah. Um, in terms of general fitness, I get there's more to it than just general fitness. But, uh, you know, in a worst case scenario, Kevin agreed that five training sessions and into a game, we, we would be prepared to start playing again. Now, whether other clubs would agree to that is another matter. So if we could get back the 1st of March or Monday, I think. So if we could train Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, we'd play a game on, on the Saturday. Um, that that that's certainly where where we're at in our thinking. No, I think that's, that sounds about right. To be fair, and, and just to take you back a wee bit, if that's all right, you'd said obviously the clubs had come together, the, the bottom or League One and League Two, the clubs. Now, I know that the, that you guys, all twenty of you, have come together to submit a proposal. Is that right to how you would get back to to playing football? And yeah. that I'm guessing that incorporated the testing and everything that, that you're talking about. Has that come yeah. back as being rejected, or is that still with the, the football authorities? My understanding is that the principle of our proposal has not been rejected. Right. The Scottish government are saying now is not the right time to come back, given the message that may give out to a whole number of people in other businesses that mm. are currently locked down. Yeah, it's good that the clubs kind of came together. And obviously, we're not private the discussions and would never ask. So I'm going to speculate on your behalf. But like you say, I'd imagine there was a lot more enthusiasm from some clubs than, than others because turkeys aren't going to vote for Christmas, are they? So uh, um, you've done well as a 20 to come together and submit something. Yeah, I, I, think, I don't think I'd be betraying any confidences to say that 20 clubs committed to that proposal wholeheartedly, That's irrespective positive, of the position in the league. There were 20 clubs that committed to completing the season in its entirety. 27 games um, there was nobody bullied into that there was nobody pressurized that was something that we came up with collectively that that's what 20 clubs wanted to do and and one of the questions so that we're getting asked on twitter and i think i actually asked bill or just kind of for his opinion of it um is an 18 game season feasible i i think the question mark about an 18 game season that starts to put different um scenarios in front yeah. of people in terms of is that enough games to justify promotion? Is it enough games to justify relegation? And I think that's um, I think that's where you you would probably start to get different views. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like just now for yourselves who would hit that halfway mark, it's maybe more of a it's maybe a, an easier decision than some who are getting towards the end of that eighteen, where they need to sort of ramp up into getting all the points possible. So it's it becomes like you say a bit more crunch time because you're always after those three points, but it's we've now only got seven games to get every win. Well, if I'm being slightly facetious, James, we'd sign up to the season finishing now Hi. and go to the playoff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, I, I, yeah, there's degrees of, of what is acceptable to other clubs, and, and absolutely, I would respect 
any club's decision in that. That is not for me or any other club. No. You know, I, I can imagine how Falkirk feel, how Partick Thistle feel uh, as full-time clubs in, in the first division. I imagine how Queen's Park feel who've committed to, to, to full-time. But I think certainly I can speak for the SPFL2 chairman that we would respect any other chairman, any other club's decision on how they felt they wanted to go forward. Like, like you well, say, every club's well, just, after sorry, their own, don't they? Um, I just had a quick one before you came in. So if Stuart, say, no. you, say you carry on with, and it, say hopefully we can get back and it is a 27-game season, could the season then be extended or would that then create a whole host of issues regarding kind of player contracts and, and things like that? I, I don't think much so much players' contracts because all players now have to have a contract into the following window. So right. all our players are contracted in, into June already. I think the bigger issue is, is the impact on the championship in terms of playoff yes. dates mm -hmm. if they finish on schedule. So um, that's a personal view. That's, that's not one that's been that's shared. I haven't considered the, the playoffs, actually. That's a good, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if it does um, move into the summer, for example, do you think this could lead to a permanent change in Scottish football, maybe moving to summer football? I, I've always said the problem with that is pitch maintenance. You know, you can only maintain a pitch during the summer. Yeah. And if you're playing during the summer, you know, you can't make grass grow in the winter unless you've got um, all the equipment that comes at a huge cost. You know, I'm pretty sure Man United and, and others can make grass grow in 12 months of the year when they put their heat lamps across it. You know, I think the cost of that might be a wee bit prohibitive. Um, and Graham's a miracle worker. You've got the best groundsman in Scottish football. Well, one of them anyway. Graham is a miracle worker. You know, this this is um, it's a great opportunity, Andy, and thanks for giving me it. You know, to applaud the people that, that make things tick at, at, at the football club. Graham's obviously employed by our landlords, Active Stirling, but he absolutely, um, you know, he's proud of being the groundsman for Fourth Bank, representing Stirling Albion and Stirling University for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, and there's not too many better about. You know, we've got the best um, streaming team and we've got the best groundsman. Yeah, all we need is the best team in promotion and we've cracked it. Best chairman. Um, actually, I'd seen, <laughs> I'd seen Graham... You that too far, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd actually seen, I'd seen Graham had tweeted today, actually. I think it was there at three o'clock this morning or something, doing something at the pitch, wasn't he, with the snow in it or something? I'd, I'd seen his Twitter this morning. Uh, so I think he was there at all, wasn't he? I'm not quite sure what Graham's regime is at the moment. I know he's on part full, or at least, you know, but, but fair play to the uh, to Active Stirling, who are ensuring that Graham's able to do uh, enough hours to make sure that the pitch is ticking over. Mm -hmm. I doubt if he's seen the pitch for several days now, though. Aye. Um, one of the things that, that people had kind of said on, on Twitter to us and I'd seen in discussions was that for, for, for fans, the football when it was on was kind of helping their mental health in terms of it was giving structure mm. to their weekend at least and it was a bit of a relief and things and a release um mentally this has got to be hard for your management team and your, your players as well doesn't it this kind of stop start and yeah i i can't comment on, on mental health as far as i'm aware they're all hale and hearty they're certainly physically fit yeah and there's, there's a deal of frustration there um probably some anger um you know pent up I think because they are such a tight-knit squad, and, and I think, to be fair, modern-day uh, technology allows players to be a lot tighter through WhatsApp, 
you know, I don't want to know some of the nonsense that goes on in WhatsApp groups. Um, but, you know, I think that enables players to keep in touch, even if they are miles apart. So I suspect that's probably helped to some extent. Um, I know how I feel and I know how my colleagues feel on the club board. You know, it's a lonely existence right now. Um, I've got plenty of things I probably should be doing. Some of them nothing to do with football. And the motivation to do them during lockdown, it, it just disappears. Mm -hmm. um, and you're constantly looking at your watch to see, is it no time to go to bed yet? Uh, <laughs> so, no, I, no. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether the younger generation, which I'm surrounded by at the moment, feel that way. But, you know, and I guess you guys are still working. Um, mm -hmm. But and in a sense, I'm working as well. But, you know, clearly there's so much less I can do just now in terms of the day-to-day -day chores that would go on if we were playing football. Um, so one of the things, Stuart, that we'd mentioned, just going off topic slightly, and I know that we, we talked about like the clubs coming together um, to put this proposal into the uh, regarding the reintroduction of football. Um, but in that kind of spirit, one of the things that we liked was, I don't think you were in that episode, James, was the game between yourselves and Steny, the venue getting changed. Now, I know, obviously, unfortunately, that game was then called off, but I think that Worked just well, highlighted... Didn't it? <laughs> I, I think that just highlighted how the clubs have kind of come a bit closer together in terms of getting games on yeah. and and um, we just thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I, I, I actually believe that it's something that should become more commonplace. Um, I have no knowledge of this, but if we do get back playing, it would make absolute sense for clubs to consider giving up home advantage. Now, whether other clubs in the league will agree to that because it then might become an unfair advantage in their eyes against them, you know, if we decide to go and play uh, a home a, a home game away to, bad example, but Elgin, then Elgin are up there in the playoff spots. So another club trying to push for those positions might see us giving them an unfair disadvantage. So, but actually, you know, if, if we were to get back playing, we agreed to play 27 games, uh, which must be coming increasingly difficult to achieve, then if we were hit by some bad weather and we knew that the likelihood of the pitch being available on the Saturday was slim, it would be absolutely in, in our interest to say to the Edinburgh cities, the Stennis Muirs, the Annans, look, we'll come to your place yeah, if we really mean business in completing the season. And I think, and I think that the I think SFA and the SPF, maybe more the SPFL, I think they would be accommodating for that. I don't know that for sure, but it's in everybody's interest if we decide hey, to... Erdian, please. Sorry, Stuart, I yeah. interrupted you again there. I think Erdian and Dumbarton did this, the same as well at the start of the season. And I yeah. think with, obviously, it was due to being Dumbarton and on, on the morning they switched it to over to Airdrie. And I think with the, um, the thought that that was safe in the knowledge that the, fi the fixture can be fulfilled, you know, they can swap it again and, and yeah. the next time they play so that that one team's not going to lose out on that home advantage. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, another way for us to fix it would be to go to Airdrie if they were away, to go yeah. to Stenismuir if they were away, you know, mm -hmm. and play Annan or Elgin or mm -hmm. whoever it was. So that would take away, we would probably be at a slight disadvantage, but that would be our choice, whereas the yeah. visiting team would still be doing the travelling. So I think um, things like that have to be considered. And there's an argument that why we, shouldn't we consider that at any stage of any season to ensure we're not left with a backlog of fixtures. 
Yeah, and to protect the pitch, especially the grass pitches, you know, yeah. instead of playing three games on it a week, if you can play maybe one or two on it. And now is the time to trial it. Because I know, for example, Livingston, have, I think in the last two seasons combined, they'd only won three away games. But this season, they've actually got more points away from home than at home. Mm-hmm. So like you say, there's, now's the time to try it when there's maybe not as much of a advantage or disadvantage. Just mm-hmm. on that, actually, there's just something keeping in my head there. Now, obviously, you've got race rovers in the Scottish Cup if and when it resumes. And I know the game was called off initially, but see on that same day, Kelty Hearts played Stranraer at Starks Park. Was there no mm-hmm. way that that game, your game, could have been flipped and took president that evening? It, it never became a discussion, Andy. Um, and whether that was a, a, a mistake on my part, I guess we really didn't know what was coming um, right, you know, yeah. subsequent to that. Um, but no, it, it, it wasn't a discussion that took place. I don't think we'd have been allowed to go to Wraith. Um, under the cup rules. But right. yeah, possibly we could have considered another ground. That's yeah. a tasty tie, isn't it? And you'll be hoping that goes ahead with the winner playing Livingston as yep. well, potentially yep. more kind of income and stuff. Yep. That's a good tie. Um, well, an easy route through to the quarterfinals would be great. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so one of the other, the last kind of thing I wanted to touch on was budgeting. So obviously without knowing AF and when, when do you, well, let's go back a bit, in a normal season, when would you start budgeting for the following season? Um, we, we would already have started that and, and actually we had a board meeting end of last week and the finance director reported that he started next year's budget. Um, it's still Mr Christie that does it? It's still Mr Christie, yeah, the one and only. Yeah. Um, we have something in common, he had his jab today as well. So, um, <laughs> the, you know, I think the question around how easy is it to budget, the answer is probably twofold. One, it's actually fairly easy to budget at the moment because everything's expenditure and nothing's income. So <laughs> the actual physical process of budgeting is quite straightforward. Uh, Where that takes us is a different question altogether, do, do, a different answer. It, do you play it safe then? And for next season, I'm talking about current times, not a normal season. Do you budget next season for no fans and anything above that's an improvement? When we, when we were aware that there were going to be challenges this season, and it's probably not too much difference in a normal season. We budget on worst case scenarios. Right. And quite often those worst case scenarios come true. So it's <laughs> <laughs> like no cup progression at all. You know, we, we, we budget on that being the case. If you're dealing with a worst case scenario, anything you get on top of that is a bonus. I think a few clubs have ended up in a little bit of trouble in, in banking on cup yeah. money and not coming through and ending it, ending up with you know the, the red figure is difficult to to deal with. So we, I don't know if we're unique. I, I suspect we're probably not. We don't have an overdraft. We don't want an overdraft. We don't need an overdraft. Um, we are, and I would never want to say we're in a comfortable position. But the St- Stirling Albion Football Club will never be under threat financially. We will not allow that to be the happen to happen. Whatever we need to do to ensure that isn't the case. And we've had to do that quite a lot over the years, as I explained a wee bit earlier on. We're now in a position where we feel we financially can move forward. Um, I think it's most clubs would have to admit that I'm not saying that they're better off financially, but probably we shouldn't be an awful lot worse off given the grant from the government and mm-hmm. given the James Anderson money. And on top of that, as you're aware, we had a, a quite outstanding GoFundMe campaign. So if you add those three together, 
I don't think it's rocket science to work out. Stirling Albion doesn't have financial issues. Absolutely. Where we are in, in so terms of looking ahead, it's if we continue to spend money uh, with no outcome, what we will have available for next year in the playing budget will be diminished. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. So you find, the, sorry, sorry, do you find more, maybe more at the lower leagues that, that teams are willing to do what you've said you did at the start of the season and just say this is going to be our season? Because I'm always drawn to, it's maybe five or six, seven maybe years ago that East Stirling did it. And I remember they went out and signed a lot of big players and went, right, this mm -hmm. is us. And it so happened a lot of teams got sort of big teams got relegated or brought into that division. And after I think that, they, they got done by Livingston getting demoted, didn't they? East Stirling had invested yeah. a lot, and then at the last minute, Livingston got parachuted down the leagues into the bottom. And sort of from that, they've faded into where they are. But do you find a lot of teams are sort of going, well, we're going to have it this season? And is yeah. that something that you sort of build up to and budget wise? Or did you just find yourself in a position this yeah. year where you thought, actually, we can do this? No, a bit of both, James. We absolutely haven't said we're going for it and mm -hmm. taken a risk. It's been a measured risk assessment that we can afford to go for it this season. And mm -hmm. I think our signings, you know, whilst we'd never discuss individual or even collective budgeting uh, for the playing budget, the bottom line is people will know that we have a decent playing budget this season. You know, it stands to reason when you look at the players that yeah. we've managed to bring in. You know, every one of the players, not all of them, but most of them have come from a higher pedigree. Uh, Jason, uh, Jason Leach. I think he's an ever. No, no, thanks. <laughs> um, He'd get you playing uh, again. <laughs> you know, the players we've signed, the majority have come from a higher pedigree. So they haven't come, you know, for perhaps a traditional League Two wage. But none of that was done at a risk to an overall position. Uh, so. uh, no, no, you, you touched on it there, uh, Stuart, and James kind of cut my grass earlier on talking about kind of community side of things, about bringing in Sterling Uni, but obviously Sterling Albion, more than that, isn't it? The community I've seen, again, on Twitter, that obviously the Junior Academy's thriving, and you touched on the GoFundMe. So uh, do you want to just talk us through the GoFundMe and then we'll maybe come on to the, the community side of things and how that's progressing? Yeah, it, it, it seems like the distant past, but the outcome is, is very fresh in the memory. We raised £30,000 in, in a period of, I don't know, again, as I mentioned, I'm hopeless with time spans and dates, but probably within five or six weeks, a couple of months yeah, max, a couple of months, we, we raised £30,000. Um, and that didn't clearly come just from our fan base. Um, we were delighted and, and amazed, I guess, that some of the sources where money had come through. So to raise £30,000, I think, was a real um, measure of, you know, the value that others consider we have in the community. Mm -hmm. um, now, we need to deliver on that. You know, a football club that sits and expects the community to support them gets what they deserve. But if we can give a return to that, you know, and, and that leads into the Junior Academy, where there's an excess of 200 kids playing football or, or would be playing football on a regular basis, there's probably upwards or getting on to about 100 parents and coaches and, and friends of players, etc., that are all involved. So they've got an opportunity in terms of coaching qualifications. So the Junior Academy is repaying a lot back into the community um, it's still expanding they've brought in a girls team 
Uh, we now have an under 18 team in, in the community, um, which we're discussing very much how we can create a pathway between the junior academy and our youth development. You know, it would have been very easy to have packed in youth development. It, that would have been an easy decision. Um, and I think to be fair, if we stop getting the funding from the SFA, it might become an even easier decision. But we are absolutely committed. We, we don't ever anticipate that we're going to bring through a first team from our youth development. That's not the, the I mean, one of the reasons for running it is that we do get the Ross McGeekies and the Cami Bennies. Yeah, but, you know, realistically, you're not running a youth development team to then say, and that's next year's first team. It's just mm. not going to happen that way. So we've made a conscious decision that we want to again put back into the community by giving players the opportunity um, to play at a higher level than perhaps they would get in the junior academy, for example, mm -hmm. than they might get playing for a local amateur side. And the opportunity to be seen. Uh, Kevin takes a very active interest in, in youth development. Um, he goes to games, he talks regularly with Neil Marshall, which while we're on the subject of, you know, putting out plaudits, Neil Marshall's been an absolute breath Relatively of Relatively new year. appointment, wasn't he? Sorry? Relatively new appointment, a year maybe yes, or yeah, so? Yeah, um, last season. Yeah. He came in at the time when things were starting to go wrong, but Neil is still working um, way beyond the hours that he's paid for in terms of keeping youth development yeah. going in terms of he's got um, education going on, he's got um, nutrition going on for them, he's, in, he's brought in a couple of volunteers that are doing this, these things for him, so they very much feel that they're still involved, you know, Zoom meetings are going on right, left and centre, um, you know, so I think probably more than most youth development setups at our level, there's still in a feeling of there's a reason for being there. And I, I'm absolutely staggered that we've been able to achieve that. And a lot of that's down to Neil. Yeah, no, I'd say a lot of that he's doing. Them. And the coaches that have willingly, you know, given up their time. Because, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of our coaches' um, fun, if you like, is is seeing the fruition yeah. of their coaching. And that's a, playing a game and winning it. They're not getting that at the moment. What is, they are doing is they're putting into the, the, play, the player education, the player's nutrition. Um, so just on the youth development, I was hoping you'd, you'd mention that actually, there's just two things I wanted to talk about that. Is, there, is Aurelian Mazel still in, is one of the coaches? Yes, Aurelian, was, wasn't Aurelian, he? Aurelian uh, coaches the under 18s, yeah. He's a, was nice, just about, he's a nice, great guy, isn't he? A lovely guy, Aurelian. Not a bad um, player either. Um, yeah, he just got a little bit late in his career. I was just right. going to finish, Andy, by saying that the sad thing is that some of our under 18s are probably going to leave before they've had the opportunity to show what they can do. Um, and that that's yeah. that's really sad. Um, that, no. that, you know, they've come in as new players to our under 18s and they've barely kicked a ball in anger. So and and I know that there'll be a lot of still and Albion fans hopefully watching this episode. Just on the YB, um, obviously there was the, the really sad news about David Eccles. So I don't know if you just want to kind of touch on I'd seen you done a really nice tribute actually and thanks to him, but he'll be myself and James obviously worked with him in the past as well. He'll be sadly yeah. missed by everyone. Yeah, it would be wrong and inappropriate for, for me to class myself as a close friend of David's. He was a wee bit older than me, but we did go to the same school. I, I was aware of him through football. Um, I've known Davey you know, throughout my, my adult years. And I know him well enough, and I think people have said this, you'll not find, I don't think, anywhere, anyone that nobody had a bad word to say about. 
Uh, he was just loved everywhere he went. Dune Castle, where he did a lot of playing and coaching. Um, he just was loved by everyone. And the tragedy of, of his passing, you know, the manner of his passing is, is yeah, I, you know, I don't know how, you know, people recover from that. And my heart goes out to his family uh, and his friends. He's still missed about the club. Um, he, he, I think Davey would have been ready to, to step back quite a bit. But unfortunately, that decision was taken out of his hands. No, I definitely. Such a nice guy, to be fair. Um, and just before we round off, then um, I know you're the uh, youth academy, like you said, there's thriving. I know from when I was kind of involved, it was Andy Todd that had kind of got things up and running. But I don't know if you want to kind of give credit to who's kind of taken over Andy's mantle. And I think it wasn't Nicola that worked hand in hand with Andy to help kind of expand everything and. I believe like you, you've got some family involved in the academy playing as well. Yeah, um, Andy worked very closely with Nicola Howison um, in in the, the formative years of the academy. That the chairmanship uh, has now been taken over by Grant Morris, who I think I mentioned is also yeah. on the club board. Grant, Grant has the same energies uh, and drive and enthusiasm for the uh, for the academy. Um, I think he has some very ambitious plans, which I'll keep under wraps because if they don't come to be and somebody will say, well, that was just talk. Yeah. But, you know, he, he sees them expanding. Um, uh, I think the, the limit to expansion, and I think this probably applies to quite a lot of academies, is the facility to be able to do that. You know, we, mm -hmm. we've got a fairly limited facility for, for astral pitches around the Stirling area and the demand is high. Mm -hmm. um, so... You know, there's there's a there's a capacity limit there, but I know that Grant has got some very ambitious plans, which I'm quite sure if anybody's going to make it happen, along with the, his committee and the coaches uh, and the parents who are very involved as well, then Grant will be the man to achieve it. So, yeah, hats off to, to Grant. Um, unfortunately, from the community perspective, you know, our own community work that is pretty much ground to a halt. Um, mm -hmm. We made a conscious decision. We, we still um, employ Callum Parry, who's, um, uh, uh, he was a modern apprentice. He's, we've now retained him uh, as a community coach. But we made a conscious decision that it would be wrong to go out to the community and offer something that wasn't a, a product that really yeah. measured up to what we were asking people to commit to financially. Mm -hmm. You know, non-contact football is probably not what kids are looking for no. you know they want to be kicking a ball they want to be doing all the things that you do when you're that age because you're none the wiser mm -hmm. uh, so community camps and uh, holiday um, holiday camps they've just not been something we've been able to entertain and it was a very conscious decision not to do that but mm -hmm. we've we've kept Callum on the payroll and hopefully when things return to normal we'll be back along with others um, delivering on community Good. And then just, just to end off, do you have any message kind of in general regarding the, the, the suspension of football and just the season, just for kind of A, Stirling Albion fans and B, more league fans of more league clubs in general? I think the message to Stirling Albion fans would be the one I usually give out, which is thanks for being a Stirling Albion fan. You know, um, I think probably, you know, I look at the season ticket list uh, I see people coming out in the ground. I can't say I, I would know everybody by name, but I pretty much know everyone by sight. I hope mm -hmm. I'm approachable. Not everybody wants to approach me for the right reasons, but, you know, the family, we, we call ourselves the Beano family. 
and I, I think that's so important again at our level that, that you have to respect every supporter that you have and not just for financial reasons. You know, the whole atmosphere at behind closed door games, um, it's, 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 it's awful, you know. You're watching a game of football with literally no atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I'm just so bloody glad we don't have the artificial sounds in the background. <laughs> but, but to me, I mean, I don't know about you guys, when you're watching a game on telly, I turn the volume down because mm -hmm. I can't be doing with uh, that. Um, I was watching the snooker shootout on television at the weekend. And every time somebody potted a ball, on would come the, the, the potted uh, clapping and cheering uh, and whipping. God, we really don't need that. So, yeah, our, our fans, stick with us. We're doing everything we can to get back playing. A message that I'm sure every board would want to give out to their fans. I accept, though, that there will be fans out there that, and I respect their view, that they feel we're actually doing the right thing at the moment by not playing football. So I need to get that balance right. The board need to get that balance right. We will come back if we're allowed to come back and we will do everything we can to ensure that everybody involved, be that as someone behind the scenes or a player or a management team or the visiting team are safe in the fourth bank environment and also in traveling to away fixtures. Good, thank you very much. So uh, for, for those of you that are, have watched and listened, Stuart's, um, I'm gonna say relatively active on Twitter. Um, his handle is at Fourth Bank News, um, and he, he keeps up to date with still in Albion News and lower league football in general. And um, I think all views expressed are personal and not those of the club. Stuart. Indeed. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for the invite, guys. A pleasure seeing you. Um, and um, good luck with the podcast. No, thank you very much for joining. Um, thanks, Stuart. Thanks very much to those of you who have watched or listened. Um, as always, new content every Thursday, 12 uh, noon. This week, we've also got our revised predictions for the championship based on their January window. Um, so check out that episode this week as well. Like I said at the start, you can get us on Twitter at Turnstiles there, uh, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Through the Turnstiles. Uh, thanks very much for joining, and we'll see you next week. Cheers.